This is The Big Thoughts with Gavin the Senior. Hi everybody, this is The Big Thoughts. I'm joined by Winston and Michelle here, the psychosex therapist from London who's now residing in America. Um, <laughs> welcome, how are you? I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited about talking to you guys. No problem. Um, no problem. I'm, I'm, you guys have a great insight and I love what you do. I love the banter between the two of you and I think it's you know, it's interesting getting perspectives from two black men, so, and now yeah. three. Yes, exactly. Now that's <laughs> right. <laughs> Great. Okay, so let's let's uh, give the audience a little bit of a background of who you are, what you do, how, why you've come to where you've come to, and what you're doing yeah. currently. So, oh wow! Okay, so, yours. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. So, um, I'll just I'll just say obviously I met you. Gavin a while ago back in Brixton um, yeah. at Fitness First. Yeah. Um, so I think I think for me my journey really started as an immigrant. You know, um, my family migrated from Jamaica to to London, um, and you know our our kind of sense of self was kind of drifting a little bit because we were in this place that really wasn't ours you know um, mm. to begin with so I was always interested in how people's minds shifted to adapt to different circumstances and different situations and that's something that I've been kind of focused on from a very early age um, didn't know what that meant but I just knew that I was very intrigued by that and then mm. I um, I went into fashion and I was working as a stylist for a really long time. Nice. Um, and then as a stylist, I'd meet all these amazing people who looked great, who wanted to look great, but they had so many emotional issues. Mm. Um, and so we were working, trying to, you know, see what fits for whatever shoe or, you know, fashion show or whatever project they're working on, that they were having all these issues that they would come to me with. So I was like, you know what, I actually want to study this. I want to study human behavior. I want to study psychology. So... As I was um, kind of in uni doing my, my studies, I was still working as a stylist. Um, so I was doing that and studying, and it just kind of bolstered my need for learning more about humanity and, and how people think and how our behaviors, you know, kind of manipulated um, into different circumstances. Yeah. And then after that, I, my first job ever was at this organization in Crystal Palace called Two as One. Um, so I applied for the job. I needed some hours because I was going into my master's degree program and we needed to have some, some, some hours. So I applied for it as a volunteer. Mm. Uh, I just went to volunteer. I was like, oh, just use me, whatever you need me for. It's, it's... And then after three weeks of doing that, they actually offered me uh, the position of volunteer manager. Awesome. Um, which nice. was which was like oh my god this is crazy like I haven't even finished qualifying yet <laughs> um, yeah so um, so I did that and I was there for about I want to say like nine months it wasn't a great organization but you know they gave me a great start I started seeing couples and, and learning about their issues so finished my master's degree program and then I started working for the NHS um, so I was a psychosexual therapist at Bart's NHS for a while. But I just felt like it wasn't enough. And then I started my private practice at that time as well. So we had a private practice. Me and my business partner had a private practice on Bolsover Street, which is near the BBC studios. Um, and we were seeing a lot of people. Uh, I remember one interesting story, though, which I will never forget. I had a client that was from the BBC. He was one of the executives of the BBC. He mm -hmm. came into work. 
Um, he wanted to see a therapist. He had some issues with his wife. Um, he came in, we had a great session. And then at the end of the session, he said, you know, we were about to book the second one. He said, actually, I don't know if I want to come back um, because as great as you are, I just don't feel comfortable having a black man tell me how to run my life. Wow. So I was like, okay. I was wow. like, oh, well, he you know, yeah, face. he literally That's said that. Crazy. For me, I was, I, I, I was kind of stunned because usually people are much more discreet, particularly in England, you know, yeah, very, people very are much more discreet about yeah. that. Um, so I was, I was, I was a bit taken aback, but then, you know, my second thought was, well, thank you for being honest. Thank you for yeah, being yeah. congruent. Yeah. I mean, it would yeah. be nice if you were this honest with your wife, but clearly <laughs> you're not. <laughs> Ironically, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But, um, but it just, it just, it, to me, it, 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 it underscored how intrinsic racism was. And even to mm -hmm. the point of you feeling that I was giving you great help, supporting you. He said it was the best session he's had from a therapeutic point of view, but yeah. his kind of pervasive racism didn't allow him to, to continue further. So that was, that was a marker in my career that I will never forget that day. Mm -hmm. um, so anyways, I referred him to someone else. Fine, 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 fine. But I was working and I felt like I needed more. I felt like I needed to do more. I felt like there was, there there was so much more for me. So I decided, and then my dad, so my mom migrated to London and my dad migrated to New York. Mm. So I was always, always had an affinity for New York. I always loved going there. Yeah. And then, <clears throat> and then, so in 19, in 2014, 2013, I spent the summer in the Hamptons and I absolutely oh, nice. fell in love. I fell in love with the Hamptons. I fell in love with everything that was going on. Um, and I was like, I'm going to move, I'm going to move to New York. And I got back home. Um, I think it was in November of 2013. I started talking to my family. I was like, I'm just going to move. And, um, and then I moved in 2014, moved to New York. Yeah. Um, my first job in New York was as a health coach. Okay. Um, that was, um, that was, I was working with people with issues around health and wellness and just kind of integrating my, you know, my experience as a psychologist into helping them. Um, that was very short-lived. I hated working there. So I was there for four <laughs> months. <laughs> and then I got a job as a research clinician at one of the health centers in New York, the biggest LGBT health center in New York. So I started working as a research clinician. Um, and then, you know, I started seeing clients privately and, you know, my client, um, my practice just grew and grew and grew. Excellent. And then an opportunity came up for me to move to Atlanta to work as a clinical director of one of the, the institutions here. Um, so I did that. And again, my practice grew. And then I started working more in the field of, um, you know, wellness. And, you know, I did a lot of TV shows. I did some stuff on the Oprah Winfrey Network. I was interviewed tons and tons of things. Nice. And then here we are today with a booming private practice in Atlanta, Georgia. Congratulations. Uh, Congratulations. Thank you so much. That, that, that's a very short, condensed no, version yeah. of, 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 um, <laughs> of my, my, my life and career a little bit. So, yeah. That's fantastic. I'm excited because I, I get to help people. I, and that's always been my passion is to help people, but not just help them in that moment, but give them the tools that they can help themselves over time. 
Precisely. That's and for me, that's what therapy is. It's not about yeah. coming in and saving them from, 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 you know, maybe a suicidal attempt or saving them from bad relationships, but giving them the tools that they obviously don't have mm. so they can do that for themselves over time and help to build that resilience. So Brilliant. that's my passion, yeah. That's really good. That's really good. Um, yeah. So in terms of um, your, the therapy that you're doing, what do you tend to focus on the most in terms of your therapeutic sessions? Generally speaking, is it marriages, couples or single people with issues or is it just all of the above? <laughs> <laughs> so my, my area of expertise is relationship counseling and psychosexual therapy. And what that means is I deal with people who have issues, particularly with a romantic partner romantic relationships, and then also issues of sex and sexuality. Um, that could be anything from sexual compulsive disorders, um, premature ejaculation, erectile difficulties, um, fetishism that it causes anxiety and stress, um, you know, premature ejaculation, all of those things that come under sexual dysfunction is what I primarily focus on. Now, what I see in my practice is couples, single people looking for love, uh, in all the wrong places, oh, in, right? Yeah. Individuals who may have a partner, but they, they're not in a place where they want to come to the session with their partners. So they come to deal with their own issues. I, yeah. I see people who are straight. I see people who are gay. I see people who are black. I see people who are white. Um, I see people who are young. I see people who are old. So my client range from 18 years old to 87 years old. Wow. Um, and uh, what's interesting is so many people will come in because of my area of expertise, they'll come in um, presenting an issue as premature ejaculation, for example. Mm. Um, you know, I come quicker than I want to. That was their mm. primary concern. As we're going through and, and kind of assessing their needs, we realize that that's actually just a symptom yeah. of something that's been unresolved for a very long time. So yeah. quickly that turns from, you know, dealing with, a sexual issue yeah. to dealing with the issue of you know lacking and, and belonging or fear or you know anxiety yeah. or worries all of those issues that most people deal with it's just that a manifestation of it yes. that particular individual becomes a sexual one 100 so, and where do you say the, the sort of the the fundamentals of all of these problems sort of arise from would you say religion or cultural sort of backgrounds or would it be economic where would you, or is it just a it's whole a com mix? It's a combination of everything. I mean, yeah. as humans, we're so multifaceted. Mm. Um, you know, it, there's so many things that impact and influence us that it's hard to identify one area of life that is going to compound someone into a place of needing and wanting help and support. It's usually an amalgamation of every single thing that that person's experienced or been through. Um, and particularly with sex and, and sexuality, relation, um, religion has a huge impact on that mm -hmm. um, because we are taught from an uh, sex, sexuality is, is a lot of what we've learned, a lot of what we've experienced and a lot of what we've, 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 we've encountered in the culture in which we live. Mm -hmm. um, so that plays a huge, religion plays a huge role in that. So there yeah. is, you know, for a lot of people, particularly um, with a, a, a sexual dysfunction such as vaginismus, for example, which is a tightening of the vagina walls, which make it virtually impossible for women to be penetrated, or if they are penetrated, it's very painful. Mm. Um, that's you, that usually, lots of research shows that that's tied, usually has a huge association with religious 
um, mm -hmm. ideologies and religious beliefs and um, traditional religious values that people hold. So mm -hmm. there are some associations that we will find that tie directly to religion. Sometimes it's directly related to the kinds of upbringing that people have and how their parents um, were with them and, and how they weren't were with them. Is that like so, a yeah. shame, shame and anxiety or what exactly? Oh, shame is huge. Shame, so we can talk about shame for, for days. Yeah. Um, that is such a huge, um, you know, foundation for people having issues around sex and sexuality and even relationships and, and being able to ask for what they actually want. There's so many people, men, women, gay, straight, who are in relationships who don't feel comfortable saying to their partners what actually really turns them on or yeah. what they actually really like to do. And a lot of that is due to the shame that they've learned Mm -hmm. over the years yeah and yeah. we as black men and women have uh, have borne the, the blunt of that for a really long time because we're not just shameful about what we like we're actually shameful about how we look what we were born into yes um yes. how people perceive us you know mm -hmm. how people will perceive us once we we, we 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 are who we are so there's so many things that we have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis and for a lot of people it's just easy to ignore it yeah, and I guess your job is to just raise raise that awareness of who they are, be proud of who you are, make make them feel like they are worthy and that their their desires yeah. are are something that's that's completely normal to them. Yeah, a lot of um a lot of people that I see, it's about helping them to recognize that individuality is mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Um, and the values that you placed on other people's perception should be placed on how you feel about yourself and not about how other people feel about you. So it's shifting their perspective, yeah. um, you know, and, and therapy is helping them to understand and focus them as their, the, the, the primary in their life rather than all these other things that's around. Okay. Right. That's nice. So, um, so now you've spent a lot of time uh, working with other people and their problems. Have there been anything that you've had struggles with that you would say that you needed to work through on a personal level that that you you know that that's something that that was quite you know prominent in your life and then you had to work yeah. through and then you found that you through raising that awareness of yourself and working that out you were in a better position to help other people for example you know it's very interesting um that's a very interesting question i love the way you phrase it you're so great Gavin. um <laughs> thank you so um the 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 but it's interesting because as I've, I've been a therapist now for 17 years mm. and as I'm around other therapists and I'm going to conferences and I'm on panels and I'm doing interviews, you, I, you tend to, and you know, I'm in, I'm in um, supervision with my, you know, supervisor and other therapists. You tend to realize that a lot of, a lot of um, people will, they will, their need for supporting and helping to become helpers is born out of the self-help that they give to themselves, um, you know, and then kind of moving through that par paradigm shift of needing something, having to search for it, and then feeling that they're empowered now to help someone else through the, their own journey. It yeah. hasn't been like that for me. Okay. Um, it has not been that for me. I think for me, I've always felt very empowered. And I've always, the way I was raised was to always, deal with things it's mm -hmm. to always work through things and not kind of sweep it under the carpet not ignore it not let it build up 
So what I find is that I'm constantly working through things as they come up on a like real time basis mm -hmm. that there's never anything that I kind of have to work through in a way. Yeah. Um, it seems a lot. So I'm very different. Yeah. It's, it's so much healthier, but that comes from the way I was raised. You yeah. know, the, the, it, that was instilling me as I was developing that these are the way things, these are the way you work through things. So then I didn't have that reservoir of unresolved issues when mm. I got to 18 or 19 or 25 yeah. or 40. Yeah. That's been kind of unresolved for, for many, many years. And I think for me, I've, I've really, I've really kind of sat on that and, and, and anchored myself on that because I realized that for me, it's very different. Mm. Um, when I'm seeing clients, I don't necessarily recognize um, or, you know, experience issues the way my clients have yes. but i'm still able to help them through it um yeah. you know i'm still able to to guide them because i've learned strategies um you know through you know clinical work but also oh damn <clears throat> yeah so i i think i think it's been very helpful to have that sort of like background coming into mm. being a helper is is you know be, having that stability having that groundedness um that grounding, I don't think grounding messes a word, but we'll, we'll invent it. Well, no, it did. Yeah, 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 it, it, highlights, it highlights the importance of having a, a solid upbringing and an open upbringing from a young age, because that does have a massive effect on how you live your life as an adult. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I, 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 can, I can relate to your upbringing a lot more so as well. So I just, you know, a lot of the time I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Anyone that comes into me, into my life with a particular thing, I'm just like, okay, fine. This is what right. you like, and I can really be objective about it. Whereas I see lots of people automatically just put a judgment on, on them, and then make that that particular thing for that yeah. other person a big deal. Whereas for yeah. me, it's like he's as long as it's legal, <laughs> you do, do, <laughs> do, do what do, makes do, you do. Yeah, as, do, as do, as do what you do. Yeah. yeah, as long as it's legal and consensual, do what you do what you need to do. And that's that's the point: <laughs> legal and consensual. We yeah. don't want to forget that. <laughs> exactly. As long as consent it's, is a huge part of uh, you know sexual behavior, you can't exactly. be having unconsensual sexual encounters. Exactly. No one wants that. You know, which which is a thing for some people, but that's called something else. <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I've I've dealt with those people as well. <laughs> I've dealt with uh, the the sexual offenders. Who yeah. don't think tell it's us more about, because, yeah tell us more about that that's really interesting. yeah so um it's 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 um one of my one of my jobs in, in london was working with with adults and sex offenders and that i did a huge a big training i think for about two years i trained with that and it's very interesting the psychology of a sex offender is that need for control mm -hmm. it's the need to be in authority uh, over someone else's agency and someone else's body and for them, it doesn't seem uncommon. It doesn't feel like it's anything wrong or illegal about it. It's like, I want this. I should have it. Well, I don't care if you say no. I don't care if you're sleeping. I don't care if you're 12 years old. Um, you know, I don't care, you know, about anything that you have going on except the fact that I want you. And I think that's something that it's very, that's one of the, the challenges I have as a psychologist is working with people who have that sort of mentality and then trying to, because to, you don't want to empower that. You know, yeah, that's not something not, you want to empower. Yeah, um, so it's, 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 it's yeah, right? exactly. Absolutely. So, um, but it was very interesting having that. And I think one of my, um, one of, one of the things that I learned from that is 
you know, what people learn at a young age mm. will then impact how they interpret what sex is for them and what pleasure is for them moving forward. Exactly. So about 80% of the people I worked with who were sex offenders were actually um, abused at, uh, themselves. Um, yeah. You know, so again, it's the learned consciousness that people mm. have that it's okay if, if they did that to me and it, it's okay then i'm okay doing that to them and that's a very simplistic way it's obviously much more detailed and much more mm -hmm. in, implicit than that but um yeah that was a very interesting time for me yeah so would you say that they developed sociopathic tendencies uh, along with all of the other things coming from their um, sexual sort of desires and their sort of distortions around sex um, and then what would you say is the sort of breakdown between sort of an actual psychopath which I guess is something that's a bit different from sociopathy because that obviously you you, you yeah there is there is, a, there is more a, there a, learned, is... a learned behavior as opposed to yeah. actually being a psychopath there, well, there, there is some differences. So sociopaths, psychopaths, um, you know, those kinds of clinical diagnosis that people have mm -hmm. are linked specifically to um, brain functioning. Mm -hmm. um, and oftentimes sex offenders don't always display those similar traits or okay. have those, 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 those kinds of symptoms. So I think it is slightly different, and which is why it's interesting to work with, a, you know, a sex offender as a psychosexual therapist, because mm. it's more it's it's a it's more of a psychological, you know, distortion than it is, you know, sort of like a mental um, health issue. Yeah. Um, but the, the, there are some sex offenders who are actually sociopaths or psychopaths as well. So um, you just have to take each individual case on it on its own merit and, and not sort of like just blend everyone in the same box. And, and there's, as I said earlier, you know, we have, we're multifaceted in so many ways that there's, lay, there's so many different layers to someone's physical, mental, psychological and emotional state, yeah. um, you know, and those can interchange at any time. Do you have a hard time sometimes separating yourself from, from you know, psychopaths and sociopaths? I, I work in, this, in a job similar one where I'm dealing with this mm. kind of people. Do you have a hard yeah. time separating from, from knowing that someone has these tendencies or these, these uh, fetishes, maybe? Mm. <laughs> um, so I, I try not to associate fetishism with, with sociopaths or psychopaths because that's um, it's very different. Yeah. However, to answer your question, um, I don't have a hard time separating it. I think it's part of my training where I literally, once I'm not, once I'm not, when I'm in with a client or in a space of work, I'm engaged to the point of helping them. And then it never goes beyond that. Once I'm not in that space, I completely disconnect from anything to do with work. And that's how I maintain my mental health, my sanity, and also have the enthusiasm to keep working in this field because it can be very draining. Yeah. It can be very overwhelming, and particularly if you're not, if you don't have a great kind of sensibility of self, then it's easy to kind of get drawn into other people's issues, other people's concerns, and you can easily transfer what's going on for your yourself with what's going on for them, and vice versa. And we, you learn about transference when you're 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 doing this work, but a lot of times it's not as easy to separate, particularly if you're going through something that's quite similar or aligned with what your clients or yeah. service users are going through. So. I mean, the, the reason I ask is because specifically with psychopaths and sociopaths, like uh, 
they can be very manipulating, very challenging. So it's, it's, it's absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And 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 they they do that as part of their 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 symptoms. That's one of their you know sort of like their skills in a way is to manipulate. And you have to be very you have to be very skilled in order to separate that from from. You know, I remember w once when I was working with the offenders, they had a, a, a sort of like a government, you know, mandated home that they were in and they would literally try to drag you in. They would try to, you know, compliment or manipulate or, you know, they'll say one thing to you and they'll say one thing to someone else. And then the two of you as staff members are fighting about what was said and what was true and what wasn't. I've been through that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very chaotic. <laughs> so... Um, you know, so that is that it takes a huge mental capacity to, to, to work through and obviously working with your colleagues as well is going to be important in that. But thankfully, I don't work with sociopaths anymore. <laughs> Not the ones that are diagnosed and in treatment, at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, okay. So what's the sort of hot topic now in the psychosexual uh, therapy sort of world at the moment? What's, what's the what's the thing that's coming up a lot now in these days? The, 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 the hot you know, topic. Yeah, I mean, because because you know obviously things have changed since we were younger. There's the whole advent of social media now. Porn is more readily available than ever before. Um, are you finding that things are becoming a lot more extreme? Everyone's looking for that next high and pushing things way way yeah. beyond what we would normally sort of do because they're just so used <laughs> to you know seeing certain things. Yeah, well, well, sex has definitely become more accessible. Yeah. Not just porn, but sex is. You can literally yeah. go on an app and have someone sitting on your lap in five minutes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so sex is much, <laughs> sex is much more accessible. But also the way we relate to sex has changed as well, um, because people are becoming a lot more open to different sexual desires, sex different sexual behaviors, different sexual norms, constantly changing. Um, so the hot button right now in psychosexual world is consensual non-monogamy. Okay. And yeah. that, that's something that we've been talking about a lot. So typically, you know, we think about a relationship as being two people supposedly being monogamous with each other, you know. Mm -hmm. That has so many flaws in it because we know that people cheat, men, women cheat. Um, so now what we're talking about is what if you agree being in a relationship to have consensual sex with other people outside of the, that core relationship? It could be, you know, um, a wife and a husband, a, a girlfriend and a wife, a, you know, a husband and husband, you know, whatever the, the, the makeup is. Mm -hmm. um, consensual non-monogamy is a hot button topic and there's so many more relationships are actually agreeing to this type of um relationship mm. and so it's 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 kind of trickling into so say for example you're in a site and you might see a couple looking for a third person for example yeah, yeah. or you might see a couple looking for That's... another couple or you might see someone who you like and they're like i'm in a relationship you're like does your does your partner know that you're on this site and they're like yeah of course yeah. <laughs> you know so that's shifting a lot, um, you know, a lot more now and people are becoming a lot more sort of open. Um, I see people who are in their 50s who've, never, who've not dated for 25 years. You know, they, they were with one person for the last 25 years. Now they're broken up and they're in this different world where they're still young. 50s is a very young age. Mm. Um, you want to have fun. You want to meet people. And now you're 
thrust into this world of dating and you're like, oh my God, what do I do? Where do I go? Yeah. Who do I, you know? <laughs> yeah. So they're learning all these things at 50, which their 16 year old grandson already knows. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. he's been on the app for a year now and he, you know, <clears throat> his friends, you know, so it's, it's a very interesting dynamic now with sex and, and, and the internet being as, as widely used as it is. Um, and also with HIV and, you know, back in the 80s, you know, HIV was something that people were really scared of. You know, so it limit it limited the the amount of sexual exploration that people were were you know looking to engage in. Now, prep being as widely used as it is, people are back to being very open with having sexual exploration. So they can be on prep and they can still have multiple sexual partners. They can still go to sex clubs and 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 you know those sorts of things. They're having sex in parks. They're yeah. having hookups. Even with COVID right now, we're trying to get people to not you know, be yeah, so yeah. close to each other, they're yeah. still finding ways of engaging that kind of sexual <laughs> side of them um, in a way that is, is for them more pleasurable than, than, than before. That's good. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. Um, you know, how, how are you finding that with these sort of uh, non-monogamous um, uh, relationships that are going on? Mm-hmm. How is the sort of love element in this now? Because it's, it's all the physical stuff. But yeah. is, there, is there is would you say that there is a lack of love or there's a lot of love in these situations where they're actually the bond is stronger because I've come across a few polyamorous type of people and they've been very very close I mean they do their own thing separately mm-hmm. together and all the rest of it and all sorts of different combinations but I've always been astounded at how together they are like they just right. on another level to just the normal couple they're just so into each other and they've got this implicit trust that's just right. anything that i've recognized in any normal imagine you have to have a stable relationship for that to work right yeah right exactly there, yeah. and there is a certain level of trust that comes with knowing that your partner is being completely honest with you mm. um which couples who are pretending to be monogamous don't necessarily have because there's always this idea is he cheating who's on your phone who's texting you like, yeah. oh, you just posted this half-naked picture on Instagram. Let me see who likes it. Yeah. Um, so there is, you know, when you're in a polyamorous relationship, you have to have, you, you increase the level of trust so much that you've, you build a stronger bond because you know everything. You know what's going on. There, there's no looking through the phone when the person's sleeping because you'd probably discuss it at dinner. Yeah. Um, so that's what you notice. You notice a heightened sense of trust, um, a heightened sense of, you know, sort of like intimacy with them because they, they create that space for themselves, which is separate and apart from when they're with other people. So, you know, mm-hmm. I might be in a polyamorous relationship where I've decided that I have one main partner and I have several other partners. Um, and we've decided as a group who gets what. And what's the level of love with this person as opposed to someone else? What kind of sex am I going to have with you as opposed to someone else? Yeah. Um, you know, so there's, there's a very conscious decision-making process that goes into that, which ne- didn't necessarily discussed in a monogamous relationship. Um, so if you're in a monogamous relationship and you're supposed to be just with this one person, then mm-hmm. how do you discuss what kind of sex you're going to have with a person, the prostitute you're sleeping with? Or, you know, the person you meet on the beach. Or, for example, a lot, there's a lot of men who identify straight, but they have 
homosexual tendencies. Yes. So the, the relationship they have with their partner is, I'm straight, I'm only going to be with you as a woman. But then when they get that feeling for a man, they, they can't discuss that with their partner. Yeah. Um, you know, that's yeah. not allowed. So therefore, there is no kind of conscious decision about how you're going to have sex with that guy. You know, are you going to use a condom? Is he going to fuck you? Are you going to fuck him? Like, is he going to come inside of you the way you come inside of me? All of those yeah. things aren't discussed, yeah. um, you know, which makes it very difficult. And it also um, makes it difficult to see that same connection in that couple than you would in, say, someone who's polyamorous, where they both identify themselves as being bi or m maybe being open to being fluid. Um, you know, and therefore you may decide, okay, well, if you're only having sex with me, it's always, you know, you always come inside of me, but when you're having sex with that guy, you don't come mm. inside of him. That's yeah. just not, you know, so there's more decision-making and more autonomy in that. Okay. I know you're itching to ask something else. I can see it. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just, it's just that I've come across some of these sorts of things that, um, that, you, that you said, like, because I lived in Brazil for a while and I've hung... Mm -hmm through that i've hung around a lot of brazilian guys and they've got this it, it seems bizarre to me I've, I've, again not, <laughs> oh no no judging I, I, but, but I mean, you, I, I you think, have to be honest yeah yeah it's, it's, a, it's a little bit bizarre because it's like i see a lot of these guys that you know i've come across a, a lot of situations where well i've spoken to the gay guys actually where they will often have uh, sexual intercourse with a, sh a supposed straight guy and yeah. because they are the top which is a guy who's actually doing it um they don't consider themselves being gay because they're doing the action mm -hmm. and if you yeah. turn around and tell them that they're gay they'll get very upset with you but they would sneak right. off behind their girlfriend's back and do this with a guy but Absolutely. according to them they're not gay and yeah. i just found but it I, very, think that, I think i think i think i think i think that it's very it's very interesting because for you you grew up in a world where you know sexuality was open yeah and being gay wasn't something that had wasn't to be an hidden. issue yeah yeah it wasn't something that you were ashamed of but yeah. i think when when people grow up with the, the learning and the consciousness that something that's gay is associated with negativity then they create their own norms um, uh, in that so for example someone in that situation would say okay well gay means that you're taking dick yeah, I'm not taking dick, so that means I'm not gay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, they're, so they're the man; they're doing something too, right? Right. right exactly. I have a question about that. Is, is there is there some kind of uh, <clears throat> like understanding of what is considered to be gay when when we speak about that? Because I've I've had friends who work in prisons and they you know they've seen uh, like homosexual sex in what they would consider homosexual sex in the prisons. And right. then, you know, well, again, that's they, all you can have in prisons, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> is there like, is there some an official agreed upon what is gay, what is not gay in that in regards? Well, to that? I mean, I mean, I, I think as I, I think you know, there's so gay, straight, bisexual, fluid. They're all social constructs. Mm. So as a society, we define what those things are. We mm. create these labels, um, and it, those labels don't apply to everyone. So as a society, you know, the, we're in the Western world. We identify gay as someone who is engaged in not just physical sex with someone of the same sex, but also emotionally um, attracted to someone of the same sex. Mm -hmm. That's how we identify gay. That's how we identify homosexual. Now, for some people, let's go with a prison, for example, as men, and, and again, 
personal disclosure, I think sexuality is fluid. I don't believe in these labels because I think they're social constructs. And when you dissect sexuality, you realize that it's on a continuum and anyone can be on that continuum at any point, depending on circumstances or situation or needs. Um, So let's talk about needs, for example. You're in a prison, you're locked away, you're only around men and the women that you see are probably working there. So you don't really want to mess with them because that might get you more time in prison. Yeah. So um, even though some people do, but um, the, 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 it's easier to have sex with someone of the same sex. Now being in prison doesn't stop the fact that you're going to be excited and horny and turned on mm-hmm. um, around other men who are horny, excited and turned on. Mm-hmm. So that, that has to have a place of outlet. You have to have an outlet for that in any regards. Um, so it creates this pseudo gay, um, mentality that men assume in prison, if they're there for two, two years, four years, six years, that they will have the sexual encounters, homosexual encounters. But once they're removed from that situation, then they go back to having a straight, um, relationship kind of thing. So again, that's situational, um, you know, so we call those situational homosexual tendencies. Yeah, because it's interesting to see that how strong the sexual urges within us as human beings. Mm. Oh, is, absolutely. Where, you know, something like that for me, again, I have, I've never had any interest in doing or going that down that mm. path. It's just not something that interests me. It's no big right. deal. But, you know, in that situation, who knows what will happen? You know, when you're stuck in there for 20 years, for 10 right. years. <laughs> You know, your 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 tendencies and your belief is going to change because what will happen is your sexual drive is going to become the primary factor, and it's going to become the same way you 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 breathe. Yeah, and you're saying I don't I don't I don't even think about breathing because that's that's what I know. You were forced to stop breathing in one way, then you your your body and your mind and your spirit is going to to want you to breathe in another way yeah exactly it's, it's kind of like your your sort of how you adapt to your change of environment and absolutely how, how, how we evolve and how musical we are as human beings we just do um and then yeah. secondly to add on top of that is you know the sexual contact within that within that sort of particular area is also used as a sexual offender would use it as a as a way of dominance absolutely absolutely a lot of the time it would be used as a weapon to say i'm the top dog i'm right i saw right probably come across this as a really um really uh powerful interview about this guy who was um being interviewed in a south african prison and he was just like really he was like an outsider. He was like, he, he had no interest in men or whatever, but he used this as a way of being the top dog in prison. Right. Like any new guy that came in, he was like, you're he my will. girlfriend, you're my girlfriend now. And if you refuse him, he'll kill you. And it was just like, right. you're just stuck <laughs> in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you assimilate, you assimilate to that situation. So the, 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 the men who assimilate more power will then dominate the ones who assimilate more submissiveness. Yes. Um, you know, and, and, and in the way that that dominant man is using his sexuality to get advantage, it, the, the guy who's being submissive may also use that to his advantage. Yeah. To get what survival he tactic. basically. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and we don't just do that in confined spaces like prisons. We do that in life. Yeah. Um, you know, there are a whole, love men who identify straight who will use you know their sexuality on gay men trans women 
mm. to make money. Yeah, yeah. You know, and 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 it's it's you know over here we call it gay for pay. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah no, no. <laughs> So <break>. you know, <laughs> there's um, there's men who is like you know I'm I'm straight, but you know if you're paying me, I'll I'll let you I'll do, do this or I'll do yeah. that. You know, so it's 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 very interesting, but it also as a psychologist, it it gives me more to research and it gives me more scope, and you know it kind okay, of broadens, right? <laughs> It broadens the, the platform in which we work because we realize then that previous thoughts about sexuality being so stagnant is just not mm. true. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's very fluid um, as far as the, that continuum. You can have someone who was, you know, completely straight, meaning only attention is to someone of the opposite sex. Um, and then as situation change, as he grows and gets older, that changes over time and then it might come back. The issue is that for a lot of people, there's so many social norms and so, so many judgments that attach to that, that people want to disassociate from the labels. Yeah. Um, you know, they don't want to be associated as being gay because in, in the context, there might be so many other associations that comes with it. So you're feminine if you're gay. Um, you're going to be you know, have HIV if you're gay. Yeah, um, yeah. You're going to um, look a certain way if you're gay. Um, you're less masculine if you're gay. So all of those connotations, for someone who doesn't want to be associated with that, he may not want to attach being gay to his, to his label, but he enjoys having sex with men. He enjoys the comfort of other men. He enjoys being intimate with men. Just doesn't want to have that label associated with it. And why should he? yeah exactly exactly you should be able to just be him <laughs> right and just do what you him. want without yeah. the, the labels that society's put on on you and also i try to, to 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 move away from labels a lot because of the 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 connotations that come with them and what that means to people's psychology yeah of course yeah. of course and that brings us nicely around to the to the next question about what's currently happening now uh within society with the black lives matter movement and yeah. recently it's sort of evolving into a gay rights sort of thing as well it's, it's combining um i just wanted to know from you as a black gay man how this is affecting you and your thoughts surrounding this sort of topic where whereby you, you know whether you feel a bit torn within this whole sort of movement because as a as a black gay man you may not have been treated as well or as equally as you would like to be within the black mm. community because there's lots of religious connotations and judgments around being gay uh, as we all know um and how that's affected you and how you you know obviously you want to fight for the black rights move uh, the the black lives matter movement and the rest of it but at the same time the very community that you're fighting for has ridiculed you at times how does that make you feel and how are you sort of managing this sort of movement as a whole yeah i think that's a very interesting question gavin because i i think i'll just start by saying i don't feel that i have to choose between being black or being gay that's good um good. i i don't i don't feel i don't feel torn at all um, in any way, shape, or form. But I do recognize that the, the, the way I was brought up and being gay, and I grew up in a Jamaican household, and anyone who knows anything yeah. about Jamaica <laughs> yeah. will say, oh my God, how did yeah. you manage that? Um, but I was, I was, it was very, for me, it was, I grew up in a very liberal house where we were encouraged and taught to be ourselves, no matter what that self is. 
Um, so from an early age, I was very comfortable with being gay. And I did, didn't, unlike other gay men, I didn't have to come out to my family. My, I have an older brother and he was a bit of a whore. He wouldn't mind me saying that. But he had so many girlfriends. Yeah. So like he would literally bring all these girlfriends and he was always introducing a different girl to my mom every week. So she was yeah. like, okay. <laughs> so my mom looked at me and she's like, well, when are you going to introduce me to one of your boyfriends? And that was uh, it. It was like, it wasn't, right. it wasn't, I didn't nice. have to come that's out. Nice. That's really nice. That's, really <laughs> um, nice. that's the way it yeah, should be. So, yeah, I'm, I'm happy that, I'm happy that you, you, you had that experience. I'm really happy that you, you had that. Um, nice. So for, for me, it, it was very different. So I was always very comfortable with being gay and I was always very comfortable with being black. Um, and I have an experience, um, and I'm just speaking from my perspective, and of mm-hmm. course, this isn't speaking for all black gay men, because I know the story isn't the same for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but from my perspective, I've always felt very comfortable being gay, even around black people, um, specifically around Jamaicans, um, you know, um, because I was always in, in companies of people that were open and honest. And even when I hear Jamaicans call people names, I'm just like, I'm Jamaican, we don't, we don't call people that, you know, that's not mm. how I know it to be. But I do know that for a lot of black men in a lot of families in a lot of spaces, whether it's in the US or in the UK, in Africa, you know, wherever they are, mm. they don't get treated well by black people. Mm. Um, the name callings is, is, is terrible. Yeah. Um, so, it's a little, side, uh, mm-hmm. a little side question. Like I have a really hard time listening to a lot of music I grew up with. How do you find like, you know, Jamaican no, dancehall no. music? Because it's, it's very oh, specific. That's a, that's in- yeah, that's a very interesting. I find it incredibly soothing. <laughs> yeah. <I'm- laughs> because yeah, because I grew up listening to them, but as well as listening to all the Budja Ban- Banton and, and yeah. Beanie Man and, 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 and Capleton and all of them, I also had a family that says, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. I'm sure they love getting fucked just like me. <laughs> you know, so it was always just a joke. Like, you know, that's music. And yeah. I just feel bad for the people who take that musician's lyric and then interpret that into their own lives. Yeah. Um, you know, so I've always been able to separate what the music is and yeah. what the reality of life is. Yeah. Um, I, so it doesn't I, affect yeah. me at all. Because I, I find like, it cringeworthy. <laughs> yeah yeah it can it can be but i had an experience where i went to with a gay friend of mine ages and ages ago i think it was it was somewhere in the west end called the something velvet room or per, the velvet know, room yeah something that like that the yeah, yeah way 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 this is like early <laughs> 2000 uh we just yeah. went on a one-off night you know it was a big group of us and he just said let's go here mm. so i said fine it was an eye-opening experience i have to say but <laughs> But what I've I found had some is, memories in the velvet room. <laughs> <laughs> but but what I found was, you know, because it was a sort of uh, a black themed night, and they played all the hip hop and R and B and the bash yeah, and dance, and dance hall, and stuff, yeah. Stuff. And what I found is, the more homophobic the dance hall was, the more they loved it. They just were going crazy yeah. to it. They just it had like the complete opposite effects. They were like doing all sorts of crazy yeah. dance moves, TikTok, handstands, all the, the whole shebang. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just really interesting to see how they just embraced it and just took it for what it was and just sort of... Right, just, right, right. It was just, a, you know, the music was still good and it still makes you want to dance, but the lyrics are just sort of washed over them. 
Yeah, the lyrics. Yeah, nobody, nobody really, you know, nobody really internalized the lyrics. Yeah, it's always yeah, it's like just, you, you confront it and you say, "Yeah, I am these things." So what? Absolutely, I love this. Absolutely, music, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and you're absolutely right. That's how you, you. That's how you. And I think I find that straight people who are allies find those musics more offensive than the actual gay people themselves. And I think. You know, when you want to be an ally, I think you have to take a step back and listen to what we actually care about. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the lyrics in Budja Benson's song that we're worried about. Mm. It's the fact that you are going to treat us differently when you're, we're around your, your, your son or your, your nieces. That's really what we care about. You're worried about, oh my God, I have to turn this song off because it's calling you a batting man. But really, are you going to leave your child with me or let me go to the supermarket with them? And those are the kinds of things that really yes. are offensive rather than a lyric in a song to someone we don't know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think for me, just being able to place those things in context has really helped me through this period. And I know I see a lot of conversation that people have around you know, wellness to do with Black Lives Matter and wellness to do with the gay movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, obviously the, the, the whole gay movement was born out of, you know, Black people, Black LGBT people, specifically Black trans women, um, standing up and saying, we don't want to be treated badly, not mm-hmm. just because we're gay, but because we're Black. We don't want to be treated badly. And that turned into, oh, okay, well, let's just extract you being gay from that. And that's what we're going to deal with. Okay. Um, but it's always been, it's always gone hand in hand. It's like, I'm black and I'm gay. Don't treat me anything, any worse than you would treat someone else kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as black people, we need to be more engaged in, in, in supporting each other, not because of any sexual identity that we have, mm-hmm. but just because we're all in this together and we're all in it as one. Um, yeah. You know, and I think I think because of religions, because of tra- traditions, you know, um, I call them pseudo traditions anyway. So the same people who uphold these traditions on Sunday is breaking them on a Monday morning. <laughs> so it's sort of like these pseudo traditions where you have these men calling people out of their names and, and being homophobic, but you're sleeping with your wife and six girlfriends at the same time. Yeah. And, you know, you have a 13-year-old yeah. who you're giving money to on a Friday night. It's like, you know, what, what traditions are you talking about? <laughs> like, so, yeah, so this is what I was going to raise, you know? it's, the, it's the hypocrisy of it all. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just making our community aware of this hypocrisy and aware that actually you're becoming the monster we're fighting against by doing yeah. this to the people within our own community. It's yeah. not fair and it's not right. You know, and to to hide behind a religion or whatever it is you want to do is is not enough to justify that. It's not. Yeah. It's not it's I don't not. think it's ever enough to justify it. But there are still going to be people who will listen to you, listen to me, listen to Winston, and ignore it because yeah. it's you know them them you know sticking to their beliefs serves them in some way, it makes them feel better about themselves, and it makes them feel like they're better than the people they're putting down. I you wonder. Know, it's like we're, <laughs> I was gonna say I wonder if it's just a case of people not experiencing it and, and I give an example a few years ago I was in Paris and um I don't know if, you, if you've been to Paris it's kind of you know people sit together and talk to random strangers mm-hmm. I end up at a house party I ended up going clubbing and uh, one of the guys who were with us was a gay guy a French gay mm-hmm. guy and um he was like you know let's go to this gay club and I was like yeah cool I'm right you know let's, let's do this so we went in there and I and the, something I never experienced in my life I've been to gay clubs before but I just I guess mm-hmm. I was never aware of this 
was just guys staring at me, groups of guys looking at me, like, you know, giving me the eye, <laughs> looking me up and down. Right. I got humbled by the experience that I've heard women talking about, about guys talking to them and like <laughs> right. eyeing them up. Yeah, and yeah, I'm wondering yeah. if it's similar with, with both with the gender thing and with the race, uh, race thing, like if people haven't experienced it themselves, like you can't mm. embody that feeling. And that for me was the first time I could embody it when I've heard women complain about guys checking them out because I experienced right, it. Right, yeah. right. And right. That, and I didn't and mind it, but it was just a feeling in my body, like, okay, yeah. right, okay, and, right. and I think that's, <laughs> you, you, that, that's, that's the fundamentals of a lot of these problems. A lot of these people jump to conclusions, there were these cognitive distortions, and they've not actually had any experience with that. They've not hung out with they're not emotionally they've, connected. Yeah, they've not had, a, had an evening with you and just had a normal chat or anything. They would just see you, hear what you are, and then boom, you're this, 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 that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's one part of it, the fact that they haven't experienced it. But then the other part could be they've experienced it and they've had a negative experience. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so one of, the th one of the things that I've noticed, particularly with homophobia in the black community, which is one of my dissertations I did, a lot of that homophobia stems from abuse that men have had. Um, mm. Either being touched inappropriately, being forced to do something inappropriate, um, having negative connotations being fed to them, you know, as children, oh, that, that gay guy, he's going to try and touch you, he's going to molest you. So again, it, it builds this fear in them. And, you know, the, the, the basis of homophobia is fear. It's fear of, of what that person being gay is. Mm -hmm. So I agree that some of it is because they, don't, they haven't had any experience, but some of it is because they've had bad experiences. Um, and it's very hard to empathize with someone that you have no experience with, um, yes. you know? So um, it takes someone to come outside of themselves to be able to look at the situation and say, actually, I wonder how that person feel, not because of my experience or lack of, but what's going on for them. And people just don't have the capacity to do that. Um, it's unfortunate, but I think, you know, I'd love for everyone to, to have some sort of experience where they're, they're able to really kind of internalize yeah. whatever their fear is and, 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 and turn that around so they can be better for, for the community. And, and yes. because I think as a black community, whether we're talking about Americans or, or Brits, mm. you know, we are not strong enough to defend the racism that's in our world if we're separating ourselves based on sexism exactly. and, and homophobia. We just can't do it. And I think that kind of issue is what is why we're still fighting now hundreds and hundreds of years later. The things that we should have had, you know, at the end of slavery is because we're still so segregated among ourselves mm -hmm. that we can't we don't have a concerted effort to fight the racism that's coming from outside of our, our communities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's really difficult for me to watch. It's difficult for me to see. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've been in spaces in, in London where I've literally heard people talk about, you know, um, gay people. I've heard lesbians, <laughs> lesbians talk badly about gay men, yeah. um, not wanting to be around gay men, but they want to be around straight men because it somehow it empowers them to feel more aligned with, with the masculinity that they have. Um, you know, and there's so many, you know, idiosyncrasies yeah. that I see within our community. I'm just like, sometimes I sit back and look at them like, we wow. are some fucked up people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everyone's got but, that sort of unique I, I, combination. 
you know, going to what you're saying, that I really, I really wish more people would just go out and experience it. I mean, my I've grown up with a Jamaican background as well, or a strong Jamaican mm. influence in any case. Yeah, and, um, I remember around the time of meeting Gavin, uh, fitness, fitness first was it? And yeah, I used yeah. to work in the Prada store, mm-hmm. and that was my first experience, like personally, with gay guys. And I remember I was getting fitted for some a suit, and uh, <laughs> you know, this this guy's hands was just a bit too close to, you know, it was it was an uncomfortable situation for me, right? 18 yeah. years old but it was just being in those situations it started making i wouldn't say making it normal for me it was just kind of i got exposed to something that yeah my whole life being <clears throat> told was afraid wrong. of yeah yeah exactly yeah and then once you start to meet people and start to have friends from different backgrounds it's like now i'm happy i have a lot of gay friends or a few gay friends anyway and it just mm-hmm. you you get open to uh there's actually different there's there's more than one way of living your life you know and and you know what I can say, Winston, every straight person in England has a gay friend. They yeah. may not know that they have gay friends, but they do. <laughs> you know, every straight person. Like, if you have more than two friends or three friends, you probably have a gay friend somewhere along that. You know, yeah. it's just, and I think straight people need to be a, be open to hearing those stories. Yeah. Because the more open you are to hearing it, the more you'll realize, actually, I've known this person for years and it doesn't change that he's gay or she's gay. You know, it doesn't change that. But if you're there thinking that they're straight and you're thinking, oh, well, I don't know any gay people, so I can't understand it. But your friend that you're going to his house all the time is gay. You do know a gay person. Um, You know, so it's just, we, you know, allies need to be more open to to hearing and seeing and, 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 and expressing. I've been in situations where I've, people have I've assumed that I'm straight, which happens quite a lot. Um, mm. So, and they're talking about, you know, the fact that, you know, gay people are this, that, and the other. And I'm like, oh, oh that's very interesting. Yeah, so kind of, um, <laughs> like a undercover, so, <laughs> undercover right, agent. Undercover boss, <laughs> um, un- undercover gay. And I was like, okay, so you really think all gay people are like that? It's like, yeah, like, and I'm like, but I'm gay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You haven't attributed any of that to me. Yeah. So yeah. clearly, there's gay people who are different. So you need to stop stereotyping. Exactly. And thinking that all gay people are this caricature that you've seen either on TV yeah. or read in the book, or your parents have told sure. you they were, and be more open to listening and seeing everyone for, for the individual that they are. Yeah, it's about um, dispelling the stereotypes. Yeah. yeah, it's dispelling the stereotypes and they exist, you know, within... They, everywhere. I mean, it's part of how we... Yeah. But it's part of how we, we, we've been culturalized. It's part yeah. of how we, we, we interact with each other. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, as humans, we have these, these stigmas that are in, intrusive in our minds because... Part of it is about making sure that we protect ourselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so it's a defense mechanism that's innate <laughs> that if you stereotype someone, then you can make a judgment and yeah. you can see how to proceed, you know, in, in order to protect yourself. And that's mm-hmm. really unfortunate, but we've, that's something that's been culturalized in us from colonization. Yeah. Um, you know, so we, we, we tend to, to make quick judgments about people based on the stereotypes that we have embedded in our, our minds. Mm-hmm. And that's how we proceed. But I think once we get more comfortable, we, once we have more conversations like this, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons I really wanted to, to come on, once we have more conversations like this and we include more people in those conversations, 
it allows people to begin to break down those barriers and break down those walls that yep. they've had up for so long. Um, yeah. You know, and I hear people, oh, this is something else that I hear all the time. It's like, I have a gay friend. So what if your son was gay? Oh, well, I don't know about that. Yeah, nobody would let something go. Why not? If yeah. it's so great and you love your friend so much, then why, what's, the, what's the problem? Why can't you just say, great, if my son's gay, I'm happy for him. Yeah. You know? Um, I know from my experience, if I was to turn around now and tell my mom that I was straight, she would look at me like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Because she, she absolutely loves everything about me so much and my family my siblings that you know that's all that's really all they know and, and they can't imagine anything else but then if you talk to some other people they're like oh yeah well he's gay but i wish he wasn't kind of thing mm-hmm. and that what that's saying to that person is that you accept them but you'd rather them be something different yeah yeah, yeah. Exactly. you don't really accept them ultimately yeah, it's right not really exactly. it's not full acceptance it's, it's okay for you over there yeah exactly yeah, it's not good to be in my house. And, it, and, and I think that is some, that's one of the things that plays into this idea that, you know, if I had to choose Black Lives Matter over Gay Lives Matter, then I'm going to choose Black Lives Matter because that's yeah. more valuable to the people I love and care about than me being gay. You know, um, well, I think it goes hand in hand. And I, I, I really, I read, there was this article that was on Twitter that I saw last week in this straight, this not straight, this white gay man who's a Trump supporter basically wrote a tweet saying, you blacks need to start taking over June. Juneteenth <laughs> is not a thing. You know, <laughs> you guys have a month already. So yeah. let the gays have their month, which, you know, obviously gays for um, June is Pride Month yeah, and has yeah. been since 1965. Um, <laughs> so it was, it was it, I mean, everyone went in on him. But yeah. it's that kind of idea that you know, the, the, the gays have basically colonized yeah. pride being in June and they don't want any interruptions. So yeah. in that yeah. space, how does a, someone who's black and gay proceed mm. when you have the gays saying this is June month and then February is, is black, black History Month or October in yeah. the UK? Um, so there's lots of, you know, dichotomy in that. <laughs> and then there's also lots of discussion. Yeah. about what we do in this space where there's so many things going on. First, we have COVID. Then we have the systemic racism that just kind of blew up when we saw a man being murdered on camera. Mm. Um, and then you have all the other um, situations of, of police abuse and, 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 and citizens abuse. And England is just as bad as America. It's just that we don't, we, they don't have guns there. Yeah. You know? yeah. I tell people all the time, they're like, you know, England's so much better. I'm like, you don't know that it's better. It seems better because we're much better at being passive about it all. Yeah. And the worst thing you can say to an America, uh, to a British person is that they're racist when no they question. tell you that they eat rice and peas on Sundays. <laughs> <laughs> so, both, so both you guys have lived in the States and in the, the UK. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah. So I've never lived in the States. And one of the difference I notice, or I believe I notice, is that um, it appears that the US is a lot more violent, a lot more trigger happy. Yeah. And I wonder if, you know, because we have the same racism in the UK as we do in the States, but I believe, is it because American culture is just a lot more violent, a lot more aggressive that we see these extreme cases? <laughs> what are your, what are your pins on that? Uh, from, from, yeah, from, from my experience, yes, it, the, that, gun, that gun culture does run right through 
the whole of the states and it is a sort of go-to sort of thing if something is not right or someone's invading your property or anything like that that's just an immediate go-to life becomes very cheap very quickly um in any sort of dispute or any sort of problem um and you do feel it like you know i've even noticed situations where i'm over there and i feel the cops are really sort of keeping a very close eye on me uh but then when they hear my accent they suddenly change and they treat me with a lot of respect and all of a sudden because i'm british and that's superior in their mind or something for some reason or whatever yeah unfortunately Um, yeah and it's in, in in it's very it's very very clear and it's very obvious like i've seen some really not not that i've experienced any racism myself because i haven't really to be honest with you or anything near some of the stories i've been hearing but it's just yeah it's it's it's, you can feel it it's something that's in the atmosphere when you're walking around in certain cities certain places you really feel like you i remember going uh, when i was staying in tampa they had this massive confederate flag just floating across the middle of the motorway and i was just like whoa that's yeah that's quite scary (laughs) then it makes you realize because because you see florida and everyone immediately thinks of miami and it's very multicultural very fun but actually most of florida is very very sort of you know I would say hillbilly-esque or sort of, you know, it's very... No, very you're country. absolutely right. Very Florida is a, is a Republican state. If you know anything yeah. about Republicans, they're very anti-black, very anti-anything that's different or other. Yeah. Um, you know, and they, 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 they do, you know, to go to Winston's point, yes, I mean, the culture here is gun, 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 gun. It's part of the... It's part of almost like the Ten Commandments of the mm. states that you're entitled to use a gun yeah. um, and have one. And <clears throat> in the state that I live in, people can actually carry their guns around. So you'll be in yeah. the gym and you'll see people with their guns on their on their hips. So you'll go for breakfast and people nice. are sitting there with their guns. So it's an open carry state. So um, yeah, one of the um, one of the fundamentals of the of the country is that you're allowed to carry guns. So they're much more trigger happy. Um, and yeah. they, they, you know, I think, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is that people are intimidated by black, by blackness. Mm. They're intimidated by blackness. And I think, you know, when we talk about culture and race, I feel that the, the, this idea of superiority has, has mm-hmm. been integrated in, in, in people's minds that whites are superiors. Mm-hmm. Or if we think about sexuality, that being straight is superior to yeah. being gay or anything other than that. And it's, it's going to be very hard to change that. So mm-hmm. when you're feeling superior and you also have a tool that, that is, that is going <coughs> to kind of contribute to that superiority, you're going to use that. Yeah. You're going to use what you have in your arsenal. So that's why there's a lot of gun violence. Um, but, uh, I personally let's pick up have, on that point there. Um, with the guns because you know I live, in, I live in Denmark and you know there's it's not a gun country but I, I have a lot of friends who have guns I've even looked to get one myself and it's but it's mm-hmm. it's never it's never really seen as an option I, I think it's just not built into their culture that you know if, if things get out of hand I'll just go and grab my gun and that, right. I, that really fascinates me that how it's so different in countries that you know we have yeah. guns here so tell so tell me what the, so guns are just for recreational activities there yeah for, it's for recreational you know it's, and it's very there's a lot of legislation like if let's say i had a gun i couldn't just go for a walk with it i need to have papers specifically to transport it from a to b you know there's a lot right. of place um you, you can't just travel with it but it's i don't know that the whole mentality is different about it it's like here i'm not yeah. i know i know many people that have guns here 
I'm not worried about people walking around that, you know, we're going to get into a confrontation and suddenly there's a gun involved. But it seems right, like that's right, right. in the States. Yeah, yeah, in some states, I mean, in, in a state like New York, which I lived in um, as well, it's, it's very different um, than, than, say, a state like Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> do, and do, what, do, you're, what you find in America as well, if you go from state to state, the laws become different. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not like a country like Denmark or the UK where you have one law for everywhere. It's like you go from one state, you drive two hours to a different state and you completely yeah, have that's, new laws. That's, that's exactly it. The United States, they're each individually <laughs> right. their own sort of... Right. I mean, and it's only, it's, only new, un, it's only united by very minimal, by the federal yeah. government. Because apart from that, everything is, is, is different. So, so, so do, you think, do you think a lot of that fear comes from the history of the slave uprising sort of move thing that was happening hundreds and years ago so that they feel like they need to protect their property because of the fear of an uprising and that's sort of carried through and then been put into their legislation. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're so right. We, I had a discussion with a group of, um, of, of, of business owners um, earlier this week and we were talking about the whole idea of colonization and the, the, the amendments and and all of that and what we're, we're realizing is that everything that we have now was instigated to keep white people in power and to keep them protected yeah, yeah, from yeah. eventually what will happen um mm-hmm. if the slaves get if they get out of hand or if they 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 become too popular and i think you know that's that's kind of trickled down into our everyday life is you know we're always protecting ourselves from someone who looks different from us um, we're always protecting ourselves from someone who we don't understand or we don't, we, we've not had any positive experiences with. Um, but because we're not allowing ourselves to have these experiences, then it just perpetuates that fear that we've had. It's, you know, you two are great because, you know, when we talk about homosexuality, you've gone into it. You've gone into the, the gay clubs. You, you, you've extended yourself to having friends who are openly gay. So yeah. you've you've broken that barrier of fear, you know. Yeah. All yeah, of us I mean, have friends yeah. who, are, who are different, and for me other people, they yeah. Because yeah. for me personally, you know, I I had no, I had openly gay members of my family, so it was just something that I just yeah. grew up into, and if that was it, my mom was very open, quite sort of like you know, quite a bit of a party girl type of thing. So she was always around <laughs> lots of different types of people, and she worked in nightclubs in the box in Brixton, which you know is quite a, was quite a gay club back in the day. So <laughs> yeah. I was there as a kid, going to certain things because my mom had to do stuff in the day, and I'd be there and I'd just be around lots of colourful people. And she was very much mm. a part of that scene. She liked that whole thing, and my my family members were a lot of them were musicians so they were in bands like loose ends and i grew up with the lead singer of soul to soul all that type of stuff so yeah. just around just a wide range of yeah. people and i just got you know you know and i'm very thankful for that because it's really broadened my outlook on everything and people and it's just yeah it, and, and that's what i encourage for any young parent or anything just open the doors to all these experiences let the child make judgment for themselves let them see these things and have these experiences don't be yeah. scared of it because all you're yeah. doing is, as you said, just producing a, a whole lot of fear over something that could be an illusion. Well, it's Absolutely. Totally, it's, yeah. it's, it's to completely an illusion. I yeah, mean, exactly. the thing that we should fear is Ignorance. How racism is, in- yeah, well, that <laughs> ignorance, absolutely. I think yep. that's one of the yeah. biggest things that we find in our society, but also just how racism is impacting every area of our life, every yep. area yep. of our, our wellness, every area of our, our development and growth. Um, 
And that kind of systemic racism is something that we all have to challenge every single day. It's not enough to say, you know, well, that doesn't affect me or I haven't experienced it Mm -hmm. Um, because someone else has. And and if they're experiencing, then it's affecting all of us, I think. And and that comes, comes into sexuality as well, because even when we think about sexuality, you know, there's a lot of racism within even, you know, sort of like the gay community. Yeah. Um, where 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 black men are fetishized um, by what their white counterparts, There's, yeah, you know, yeah. this idea that if you're black and you're thick and you you have a great body, then you have a big dick, and then you yeah. can be my sex god, yeah. um, you know, in a way. And I think that kind of you know passive racism is is not helpful to us at all. And then you play this inferiority game. It's like okay, so you're you're wanting me for this, 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 and this, which means that you're more superior than me because I'm only wanting you for this. And, you know, I think those kinds of things are some things that we really should be having more discussions about because it's all part of racism culture. There's a yeah. lot to talk about there. I yeah, mean, I'm growing up in Denmark, <laughs> right? And, um, you know, moving here, one of the problems, it took me a while to get over this, was just the like Danish people adopting people from Asia and from Africa. <laughs> and it, it just triggered something to me. I couldn't figure out what it was. And I think it's precisely that, that inferior, uh, feeling superior to, uh, to another type right. of, uh, necessarily race, but just to another people. And, um, yeah. you know, I was, I was having lunch with a black woman today here in Denmark, and we discussed, like, going on the dating market as a black person in a very predominantly white country, you do right. meet people who, who fetishize being yeah. with a black yeah. person. Well, even Absolutely. in London, it's not exclusive to Denmark. No, it's in no, London. No, no. I come across it oh. all the time. They just, they see something and then they assume X, Y, Z about yeah. me. And that, that's what they're going for. <laughs> and they just want, they just I'm want. Sure lo- I'm just, sure a lot of people assume things about you, Gavin. It's, 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 yeah. it's like this undercover racism. They just want a trophy. They just want a trophy. They want right, something. This exactly. is my black or type, whatever race you are. And this is who right. I, this is what represents me, you know. And it's kind yeah. of like yeah. almost like it's like a ticket for them to say, "Well, I am okay, and I'm not racist, and I'm just like, yeah, because right, yeah, exactly. I've dated a <laughs> look lot. Up, look, look at my amazing yeah. black boyfriend. Yeah, I, can't, yeah. I can't be racist. <laughs> I've dated white women that are incredibly mm. racist, and they would go to bed with me, do all sorts of things, take me everywhere. But then you can <laughs> see it. Not that they overtly say anything. But that you could just see when I play, say, a bit of dance hall, you can see their face change. Right. Like, What's this? Right, or, right. or I say black, I, I make the mistake of putting black and culture together. And they look at me like, what? There's, what's all culture? Do you like, want to hear it? In their head, it, culture is Italy and the Renaissance. I've got a crazy story for you. I've got a crazy story for you. I was dating this girl for a couple of weeks in London. This is when I was about 20, something like that. And I'm... Um, yeah. You know, I've been dating her for a couple of weeks and, you know, I don't know how, but managed to meet her parents in that time as well. And we're sitting on a bus on the way back from the central London on the way back to Walthamstow and a group of about 20 kids got on, you know, not the quietest kids, maybe, maybe the troublemakers. Yeah. And um, we're sitting down just talking and then suddenly she just, she just says loud enough for them to hear, maybe not realizing it. I hate these effing niggas. Right? What? Oh my god. She forgot that she was sitting next to you, right? I don't know what she what was thinking. You, you made you, was, you made Oh wow. You made her way too I don't, comfortable. I don't know. I don't know if she Jeez. forgot I was black. I don't know. I don't know if she didn't realize she you did. said it out loud. <laughs> she she did. She forgot. But, you know, oh my word. journey because you know I was going home and she was obviously having to go home as well because she went coming back to my, <laughs> my no, the, the, the most important thing is was there a second date? <laughs> <laughs> he said no. She went. She went home all by herself. Yeah. 
unfortunately. But see, <laughs> no, you see, no. that's that story is stories that I hear all the time. Yeah, people stories just I hear themselves. all the time. They forget because they're with you. They assimilate you so much into their world yeah. that they yeah. forget you're not white. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I get I get this a lot of the time as well with uh, with uh, the a lot of the white women that I date. They they will date me, date me, date me, and then I would obviously refer to myself as a black person. I identify with that and the culture. Yeah, and they would turn around and say, "Well, you're not really a real black person." Like they just don't <laughs> see me as that because they've associated a certain set of right to a black person and i don't represent a lot of those stereotypically and they just but i but but that's the thing what i want to change in people's mind is that you can't just stereotype a whole culture of people a whole race exactly into one thing we're so multifaceted and we're so different yeah that's one of the things for me why i have dated outside my race especially growing up in london it's just you can't not you just do you know everything's integrated in the life as they say right. right (laughs) <laughs> um, well, not anymore. I feel like now being in America, I'm definitely more pro-black than I've ever been in my whole life. Yeah. Um, and I can't see myself dating outside of my race. One, because of what we we're just talking about, people forgetting their place and thinking that yeah. you're like them. And then two, there's so much variety within black culture, within black race, within black people. There's so much variety of mm. types of people. Um, but in saying that, I think, I mean, I was going to ask you a question, Gavin. How do you feel when someone you're dating, someone you're being intimate with, someone you're being, you know, you're exchanging all these kinds of details and, 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 and things with, and then they say, oh, but you're not really black. What does that, how does that make you feel? <clears throat> For, um, I, I try to look at it quite objectively, because when I step back, I say to myself, okay, why have they come to that conclusion? What are the things that are going through their mind? Um, and yes, I don't speak with a lot of slang. So, okay, that's something that they associate a lot with black people in London. Um, you know, I am lighter than most black people and you know there's various different things so i can i can understand how they've arrived at that conclusion but at the same time it is quite offensive because that's what i identify with that's my culture that's everything and i'm very very proud of of all of those elements and Mm. to have someone external that has very very limited experience of those things making a judgment on me doesn't make me feel particularly good so I yeah. would correct them immediately because that's how I am. If someone says something that I don't agree with or whatever, I like to address it just like <clears> yourself <throat> there and then. So I will say to them, you know, why, you know, I'll question them why they've come to that conclusion mm. and then we'll just talk through it and I'll explain to them why I am black. And by the end of the conversation, they're, they're fine with it. But I don't necessarily have an aggressive reaction to it. I'm not an aggressive person, generally speaking. I always like to take a step back and actually see why someone has asked me that question or come to that conclusion. Because I feel like, and I feel like this is something that needs to be subscribed to a lot of people generally anyway. I just feel like, you know, someone's got a a particular opinion on you for a reason. Let me find out what that reason is. If it's substantial and educate enough, them. Yeah, if it's substantial <laughs> enough for me to actually have a conversation about it and there's enough common ground there for me to really talk about it and explain to them, or it's not, you know, just a throwaway ignorant comment. Because if it was just a throwaway ignorant comment, then yeah, we'll have to go down a different road <laughs> and discuss whether I'm gonna be seeing you very often anymore. There's two two options, but I like to take my time with this stuff. You know, I do understand, you know, 
the the sort of overriding stereotypes that a lot of people outside of our culture will see uh you know, i've been surprised by it myself like um i think i said this on another podcast when i went to america for the you know i'd always look at a lot of american tv shows and see lots of black people not speaking very well and really bad grammar really doing really stupid things and they were always at the butt of all the jokes and all the rest of it um and i'd just be like why is this always like this and you know and you could see why sort of a lot of different cultures would look down upon black people and see them as stupid or xyz and I'm just like, why is that being perpetuated why don't why do people accept those roles and all the rest of it and then when I went to Florida, I went to a few places and was hanging out with my cousins and stuff. And a few black people that would fit into the stereotypes came along. I was just like, wow, people actually <laughs> speak like this. And they do. Right. And I was like, it's not was, just a role. Yeah, I was, taken, I was really taken aback. You know, they say, yeah. you know, you know, who you is and all this type of stuff. And it's all this. <laughs> and I was like, wow, you know, no wonder these things <laughs> escalate so quickly. But it's at the same time it's not very fair you know i can see you know on both sides of it so i can sort of understand why some people would come to those conclusions but at the same time i like to take a step back and then explain myself and my situation where i can and and and, and i think also help them to be educated that yes i'm you have the stereotype of black people but here i am i'm black and i'm not that stereotype Exactly. So let's expand how you see black people. Exactly. Let's expand the repertoire of black people that you know, and not just exactly. other them because they don't fit a stereotype. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they do exist. They're, there's all the right. stereotypes do exist. Right. That's what they. That's why they're stereotypes. That's where they're based. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at the same time going into a new relationship or a new encounter or a new anything with the person yeah. that you don't know, assuming all of those things is not a, a helpful way or healthy way of thinking or approaching things. It's, a, it's quite, you know, it's a common cognitive distortion. People, you know, with the brain, how, they, how the sort of the imprint of how our actions are done, the brain will just figure out the quickest way to get mm -hmm. to an answer. To get and to it, yeah, had, exactly. And if you had a previous experience, or whether it by TV or just a passing thing of that particular experience, the brain will just go boom, 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 boom. Okay, you're yeah. And it it's having away. it's having the it's having the frame of reference, and I think that's probably you know when 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 Winston said what he said, in her mind, she'd had a different experience with you, yeah, um, but those kids <laughs> coming on the bus now they're niggers, and that's yeah. what she yeah. hates. Yeah. And she hasn't associated you being a black man along the lines of what black is. So she, yeah. she, again, it's frame of references. And I think that's what we need to point out. And that's where the, the superiority comes into it. Because if she can look at you, Gavin, and think that you're not black, then yeah. it allows her to lay with you. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, yeah exactly. And, exactly and be that, comfortable yeah. saying, oh, you know, you're different from everyone else. You're, you're, you're not like the rest. Yeah. Um, well, on the, on the opposite side, I've had even I've had white girls say I'm not black enough, <laughs> or I'm not dark <laughs> enough. They would never have a kid with me because they would come out too light. You know, I've had all. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, 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 fa the famous thing in Eng in England is you know white women wanting to have a brown baby. So. Yeah, it's true. If you see my son, my son is really light skinned and you know I've had comments when he was born. But how like is people? He, is he is he mixed race? He's mixed race as well, but he's really okay. light skinned. Um, yeah. And sometimes the questions is like when he was born, he was he didn't look white, but he was really light skinned. But but, but, the thing, yeah. but that's the thing with Caribbean people, 
our appearance doesn't actually show our genetic makeup because we're all exactly mixed. right. You could, be, exactly. you could be as you could be as black as anything, or as light as me, or even lighter. But yep. we will all have a bit of Asian, a bit of this, a bit of that. It doesn't yeah. know. It, it, yep. Depending on your partner, you don't know what's going to come out. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's why we're. That's why we're so beautiful. And I'm yeah, exactly. Like, I, I, I'm excited that you know that we're we're having conversations like this because it's so important. Yes, it's absolutely important. And 100%. and to have three black men who are educated with different backgrounds, different expertise, living in three different countries, yeah. having a conversation like this is it's it's unique and it's it doesn't have to be more, more of it. Yeah, yeah, we need more dialogues yeah. like this and more understanding, more education in how your yeah. mind works and why you are doing the things that you're doing and so that you can address these things. I think something really important about uh, pointing out that out is that you know now now living and we've all lived in a few different places right and understanding the cultural differences where the racism comes from mm-hmm. so you know here in Denmark there is definitely racism I haven't experienced any of it I've had a mm-hmm. couple of name call-ins but I haven't really experienced racism here compared yeah. to what I've experienced in the UK and Poland and other places I've traveled to um, and I'm sure you also have that I think it's important that when we're having these discussions that we understand mm-hmm. there are cultural differences like you know, Americans are racist for a different reason than British people are and than yeah. uh, Danish people are and so on. Right, so, right. Yeah. yeah. So the right. solution's not the same everywhere. Yeah. And then and, you also got to look at how the, the cultures actually describe certain things. Because I know in South America, just like in the Caribbean, the way they call you is often by a physical appearance. Right, so, right. You know, yeah. you see, you know, I'm sure you know a lot of Jamaican people that are called slim or fatty or this or that. Mm-hmm. It, it's just because of their appearance. And I guess a lot of that can be misconstrued as well. It's not that it's okay, but at the same time, again, just like Winston said, the cultural approach, you know, you need to judge each case by by what it is. Yeah. And I think there's some people who who genuinely be ignorant, they not know, and they're open to learning. Yes. And those are the people that I love having conversations with. You can leave that conversation knowing that you've impacted them and you know there's going to be a change but then there's some people who know exactly what they're doing mm. and they are not interested in changing because they they, they want to keep that superiority there they exactly. don't want to this, open their minds to the idea that some person who's other than them from a different race different culture might be as good as or even better than they are yes. they don't want to open that so having a conversation with them is like a revolving door it's like they don't want to know it um, and I think it's important when we're having these conversations to know what motivates these people's racist thoughts and feelings and views. As you a know, therapist, it, 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 you, um, as a therapist, so you know, obviously have a lot of understanding about psychology and about the way people mm-hmm. have affected by previous events or just like uh, no self worth or and so on and so on. Do you find any frustration watching the conversations that happen in? Absolutely. I'm entirely frustrated. I literally have to take times off because I feel like we, the most of the conversations are so emotive. Mm. Um, you know, it's very much on a lot of the conversations are based on how people are feeling in that moment. Yes. Yeah, and reactive. they don't, it's, yeah. yeah, they don't take the, the, the step back to look at a bigger picture and to actually see themselves yeah. in any other way or in any other thought. And that's problematic for me in a sense as well. But well, what happens when people start feeling better about themselves? These mm-hmm. conversations are going to stop happening, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I, I do, you know, get in, incredibly frustrated. And I, I always try to inject myself and, you know, the psychology of thought as much as I can. 
so we yeah. can have a much more impactful conversation when we're talking about things like race and sexuality and and divisive the divisiveness and and just how we interact with each other as a as a group you know and 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 what we've seen over the last few weeks since george floyd is just this overwhelming continuity of pain mm -hmm. that you know people have either suppressed or they've ignored or it seeped into their own <laughs> consciousness and now it's so raw and everyone's dealing with it there's protests everywhere there's people are speaking up um you know people are, have taken their platform whatever that platform is and saying this is my experience mm -hmm. i actually watched a video of leona lewis talking about her experience of racism um once in a store in in in, mm -hmm. in, in um in knightsbridge and mm -hmm. i just thought this happened years ago. Yeah. And she didn't feel like making a video this, about it until this, now. This is, this, is, this, is, this is what I, I, I'm feeling a lot of it. It's no, it's quite simple. Yeah. A lot of it seems quite self-serving. And so sort of <laughs> look at me, look at me, because I know a lot of black girls in my feed, for example, who have got, yeah. who before this incident were literally exclusively partying with white people all the time. Was like, and then all of a sudden, as soon as this happened, they've become Malcolm X. And right. <laughs> you know, overnight, Everyone's all black, everything. <laughs> yeah, and, right. it's, and they're singing and saying all of these beautiful poems and all this stuff. And I'm just like, well, okay, that's quite a shift in personality, right yeah. here. Right. <laughs> but I, I, just, I, I, th I think I think it's that unconscious pain that everyone's ignored. Yeah. Um. Until now, it's it's almost like you know you you especially in London, and I see this a lot in London where people, mm. black people have tried so hard to be not as black as the stereotype. Mm. So they assimilate themselves into everything white. Their friends yes. are white, There's the clubs they go to are white. Yes. Um, and until they, they realize, actually, I'm not. I'm really not. Mm. And now they're forced to actually look into that pain and what that feels like. And all of a sudden, that time where their friends call them blackie now becomes a big issue for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which they've ignored for so long. So I think it, it, it's it's a, it's a continual pain, and it's almost like a wake up for some people who've been in a in a daze in a dream. And I think I ho I just hope that this conversation continues because if we don't, then we're going to be back here again. Exactly. You know, feeling the same traumas, the same pains, the same experiences. And we're going to be looking back at 2020 as like, did we learn anything from that? Yeah, this is this is so. one of the things I was saying on the previous podcast and stuff like that, in that we've got a spotlight on us now. And I think people aren't really using it in the best ways because I've, you know, even personally, when I've gone onto Facebook now, they've set up a lot of these black economy sites and the groups and things like this where everything is for black business owners. And then when I look through it, everyone's just looking for likes and followers. No yeah. one's actually promoting the business. No one's actually, where's the lawyers? Is it all, nothing like that's actually happening. It's just all about makeup, hair and beauty. Not that they're bad industries or anything, but there's no real industry there. There's no real substance to it. It's just, you know, here's my Instagram, yeah. like and follow me. And that's how they're using this spotlight. And it's just so empty. And, there's no, and that's what's frustrating. Yeah, they're not it's, very, really, it's very superficial. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, and it's they're not really looking at the problems and looking at the systems. Like I said in the previous uh, podcast, you know, I feel like we're, we're working within a system that doesn't promote a lot of unity, a lot of empathy. And you can't yeah. have unity without empathy. It just doesn't really work. Um, and all sorts of things like that. And, you know, we're putting lots of conditions on things. And it's causing us to have superiority things, uh, issues. 
where the other person's inferior, then that dehumanizes them and then you're able to do lots of terrible things to them. Because when you lose respect for someone and another person, just like I said before, it's very easy for you not to see them in that way and do do terrible things to them. That's why I'm... And, yeah, <clears throat> sorry, sorry, Kevin. That's, that's, that's one of the things I'm worried about is like, you know, the Me Too movement example that kind of died out. And I think the same things happen now with this white privilege. I think it's people like that. It's like the whole movement is just about shaming people now. And yeah, that can only last for so long. <clears throat> that can yeah. only last for so long before you know people feel so shamed that they don't want to hear about it. Yeah. You know, I feel I, I have a yeah. my understanding is that's yeah. what happened to the Me Too movement. You know, they shamed people so much that it kind of it lost its momentum because it was the wrong way to deal with it. Right? Yeah, there's no that, yeah, you're kind of almost fighting hate with hate and it doesn't work yeah. like that. We need to show an abundance right, of exactly. love to, to break through that hate yeah. and with constructive conversations. Or, fi- or fighting hate with shame. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Into exactly. Feeling like okay, so I'm just gonna hide it now rather yeah. than show it. Exactly. Well, that's what's happening in the UK, right? To deal with yeah. it. And, yeah. That's exactly. Yeah. That's, when, yeah. that's when you get the systemic racism because you know we can't be. Yeah, that's what I love very, about Denmark. Yeah. You know, it's um, my experience in Denmark is that everything is out in the open. So it's not like in England where was he being racist to me? It's like here is. He was being, there's no question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which means, which means, you know, if, if something happens, you, we've got loads of laws that we can enact and like deal with the situation. It's not a case of like, was that right? It's like, you know, it was racist. Yeah, yeah. You know, when, when people are openly right. allowed to be themselves, you can deal with it head on. Yeah. Know, rather than it being like hidden away. Yeah. And then we just need to look at the systems that we're adhering to and what we actually ask the question, what do we want out of this? What's yeah. our end goal? Is it to yeah. just, you know, just pour out all of our pain and hate and and point the finger and blame people or do you actually want progress and for people to be unified and actually have a, a society yeah. where it's empathetic respectful and all of those types of things and i believe that the system that we've got just like i said in the previous podcast and everything that we've made up does it's not conducive for that type of stuff you know if you look at how our religions are done it's every religion believes they are superior and that gives them authority to do Absolutely. things bad to other people. And then that has its sort of connotations with the sex. And then also that's carried through to our economy. Everything's in conflict. So you'll get rewarded for being in conflict, for stepping on someone's head, for being mean, basically. And to be disqualified, yeah. it's all rewarded. And so it's very difficult for people to be objective and take themselves away and say, look, actually, what we're adhering to, what we're subscribing to is never going to be conducive for those things that we claim we want. And if it, and if as a human race, we want a particular experience, we have to go about it in a particular way. If not, we're going to continue going through this boom and bust cycle like the economy where every month is a different course and it's a different thing people are getting themselves whipping themselves up into a frenzy and it's and there's equal even people that live their life based on each sort of uh problem that's going along because i've seen people on my on my feeds they've been rallying behind this uh black lives matter and then the gay thing's now becoming a bit stronger then they're rallying behind this and then something else will be there and then they write it's like they they love the activism of it all yeah. and it's very yeah. empty. it's just <laughs> activism they're just addicted to it <laughs> but it's, it's activism without change yeah it's activism exactly. for the sake of being out and being <laughs> being seen but you know you have to also want to activate change in people yeah. Yeah. and you can do that from a very minute from where you're sitting in your office you know the people next to you the people you hang around with the exactly. people you have drinks with on a friday night that's where the real activism starts, mm, you know? And then yeah. once you have that, you can go out and be more public. But you can't be saying one thing on, 
you know, your social media and then in reality you're doing something else. Or one thing when you go to the march on Saturday and then in your life you're not living by that. I think yeah, exactly. that's where people become very constricted in how much growth we can achieve. Yeah. Um, because you're only doing it it's you the know, superficiality of it all. Like, yeah, yeah, it's very superficial. And it's, you know, you've seen all these beautiful pictures, like, of all these model-less type women and they're with the Black Lives Matter and they're posing and it, you're getting a million <laughs> likes. And you're just like, how is that helping anything? Right. And what you're you just getting an ego boost here. You're just getting an ego yeah. boost. <laughs> well, you know, that's, human, that's humanity for us. We always, it always yeah. comes down to that. You know, that ego is something. Yeah. And that's what I, that's, that's what I was going to say earlier. The, you know, the removal of ego is so important. We need to take that away and actually look at the problems yeah. without ego, without judgment, and just actually focus on the problems and say, look, we want X, Y, Z. So the best way to do it is this, that, and the other, and leave right. that to one side. And, 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 no and, and, be, and also be committed to doing it together. Yes, that's it. You know, be committed to doing it together. We can't do it segregated. We can't do it with you know, the black people here saying I'm black first and then the gay people saying I'm gay first and then yeah, the trans exactly. people saying I'm trans first and yeah. you know it's 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 not gonna it's not gonna be as effective. Yeah, we need uh, to yeah. unless we together. So Yeah. And you know, just like just to build on what you said, you know, the unified approach is the only way to do it because as a people we need yeah. to fight together. It's not about just yeah. having one charismatic leader pushing the pushing the envelope for this thing. We yeah. need to actually collectively take on that responsibility because once that happens is you put that place that responsibility on that charismatic leader and then when something happens which it always does then the course dies with it you know you look at all the yeah. great leaders martin luther king all the you know all these people that put these amazing messages out there they and then as soon as they they die so does the course we yeah it's important, it's important people understand pushing it's important people understand you know we don't create unity by shaming people of course like people can do stuff that is shameful but at some point, you know, you can't make that shame something that you can't escape from. Otherwise, yeah. we don't unite people. We just put, we push people away, actually. Yeah, yeah. We, need to, we need to take those moments of shame and, re and use as an opportunity to educate people. Re-educate yeah. people, Absolutely. not to just put them down deeper and deeper and deeper. They not just other people, we need to educate ourselves, right? Yeah, exactly, and ourselves. Because yeah. we, yeah. we as individuals, we always think we're in the right a lot of the time, and our <laughs> way is the right way. It's just a natural thing to do, I believe. But at the same time, we need to be open and aware that actually sometimes we're not. And they take yeah. that responsibility and not be right. so arrogant and egotistical that we can't see that we're not doing things in the right way, possibly. Right. Right, or we might be doing things in the right way for ourselves, but then it's impacting other people yeah. negatively. Yeah, so, 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 so when we when we are explaining things to people, we should actually say, you know, the, the language we use is very important, and I believe that by saying like, a lot of the time, a lot of the problems come about by people saying this is the right way. If you don't follow me, you're da da da. What you need to say is this is my way; it works for me. It's not a better way; it's a different way. And right. If, and Absolutely. if it resonates with you, I can show you. If it doesn't, yep. continue doing what you need to do um, to make yourself happy. And that's and that's and that's where we people people need to to learn. We need to really be aware of the language we use because that's a massive impact on everything. Yeah, I think that's so important, Gavin. I mean, you have you have it right on point. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah. next, the next British guru—that's yeah. Well, <laughs> well, then that's that's another thing as well. Guruism is another form of superiority, and I don't believe in that. Isn't it, so isn't it, you it put yourself on a platform <laughs> saying that you've got all the answers when really I'm with you. I'm the same as you, okay. and 
I've, I've just got an insight into doing something maybe a little bit better. And if, you, if it right. resonates with you, then you, then you join me. It's not about me. Yeah. I, I like the idea. I like the idea of learning together. Yeah. And even and we even with to. my clients in my practice, I always say, let's learn together. Let's, let's, let's get this to a point where we both learn from this. So the Carl Rogers approach, right? Yes. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> that's it. That's it. And that's the, yeah, that's the only way I think we can really approve because we all are only masters of our own lives. And for yeah. us to have an ex, for us to experience that externally, we need to open our ears close our mouths and really understand what's, what, what the other person's going through and really take on that experience for us to improve and, and grow as people. And I believe there's a wider thing as in our communities, we need to do more of that. And I think, you know, that's, that's the right track. That's the first steps. You know, there's a lot more and it's a lot more complicated than that, obviously, but it's, it's, it's the right direction, I believe. Yeah, I believe that too. I think you've done, you've, you know, we've all, we've all come with so, so many different perspectives. Um, but I love, I love our conversation and we should definitely do it again. Definitely, yeah, definitely. It's been, been really good. Um, is there any uh, last, uh, last words you want to say to the people out there? Anything oh, where they can find you? Tell there. me, tell, tell them where they can find you and all your shows. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I have a <laughs> I have a podcast as well, which is all about sex and relationships. Definitely good. Um, Check that out. I'm not so much politics great. and race, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's on. It's on everywhere you you get your podcast, and it's called um, "Let's Come Together with the Sex Doc." Okay. Um, and um, on Instagram, I'm at Relationship and Sex Doc. On Facebook, I'm at Therapy for You. And then my email address is michellelhunt at gmail.com. You can find me, tweet me, comment like. Um, I do provide um, confidential um, consultation for, for free. Um, so you can always reach out if you have any issues that you'd like to talk about. Um, but yeah, that's it. And download the podcast. Definitely do all those things, please. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and great catching up with you also. I know. It's been <laughs> really nice to Thank meet you. you. Thank you, Winston. It's, it's just such a pleasure. I definitely yeah. like I like the fact that we can have this conversation in this space. And I think, you know, that's what podcasts do. It, it, it help, allows us to connect, you know, in three different countries, three different time zones. And yeah. we're here having this amazing conversation about things that affect all of us. So. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. So this has been uh, Michelle. Uh, he's had an amazing uh, conversation with us, Winston and Gavin. We're signing off. Uh, this has been The Big Four. And I'll see you soon. I'm Gavin Asun, and this has been The Big Thoughts.